0: Welcome to the podcast, Whiskey and a Map. Stories of adventure and expeditions as told by those who live them. I'm your host, Michael Reinhardt. It has been said that many adventures and expeditions started simply with a map and a glass of whiskey. A desire to go and see the world's wild places. You're invited to pull up a chair, pour yourself a glass of your favorite whiskey. And join us as we hear stories from another one of our friends just returned from the field. Welcome to another episode of Whiskey and a Map. Today we're going to meet a friend of mine, Alex Chionetti. Alex is an award-winning journalist, explorer, and filmmaker. He was born in Argentina, studied zoology and ethnology at the Museum of Natural Sciences in Buenos Aires and later filmmaking at MIT and UCLA. He was a consulting producer for several seasons on ancient aliens and his documentaries have been broadcast on Fox, NBC, A&E, History Channel and other international networks. He has been a resident researcher at the Smithsonian Institution and was the discoverer of two lost Inca cities in the Andean region. He is a member of the Explorers Club. He is perhaps most famous for his exploration of the Cuevas de los Tayos, a cavern complex in the Amazonian rainforest of Ecuador. These caves contain inexplicable architectural details, and there are, of course, claims of curses and hidden treasures. Alex, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to uh, share your stories with us.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: One of our traditions is we always start off at Whiskey and a Map podcast with our guests telling us a telling us a good drinking story. Do you have one for us?
1: Oh yes, I was uh this drinking story was with my departed friend Andres Fernandez Salvador Sambulvide, who is a fellow explorer who spent 60 60 years of his life looking for the treasure of the Yanganates. The treasure of Yanganates is that Atahualpa treasure. That you were asking me about El Dorado. Yes, uh, it's part of the Paititi El Dorado tradition, but in Ecuador. And Andres was a kind of a famous character, very colorful. And when I met him, he used to invite all the people to the Yacht Club of Guayaquil. And he invited me to this nice uh, location, seeing the Wajas River from the window, very lit club. And we started, I'm not a person who drinks kind of too much. And I always you kind know, of couldn't rebuild Ernest Hemingway in that way. <laughs> but it's, I don't have too much tolerance. He ordered one one bottle. He liked to drink whiskey, Johnny Walker. I was drinking. He started to tell me all his life. Adventure was part of my research on the Tajos. And also, we drink one glass, two glass, one bottle, come on the second bottle. And he's, uh, he was so excited to tell me all his 60 years of research. But this, he he survived a crash in a helicopter. And he spent part of the fortune looking for the treasure. And he never gave up. But he never found it. It used to be all these great adventures. We finish sitting on the floor. We fall both together to the floor after so much drink and adventure. We're so excited. And we lay down for kind of five or ten minutes, laying down in the middle of the yacht club with Andrés Fernández. Bless in peace. He never gave up. He crashed with a helicopter in the middle of the Yanganates, but it's it's a kind of a rainforest. very, very rocky, very difficult terrain. And rain and rain and for weeks. And... he was lost of civilization. No one knew where he was. It was not party, and he had to survive for one month there with all the few kind of uh, provisions he had there. And finally, some party found it.
0: What an opportunity to get a chance to talk with him over a drink.
1: Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it was a good whisky. I wish he's still around. Yeah.
0: Now you were born in Argentina. Yes. You are a movie and TV producer, but you've also been a lifelong explorer, especially in the area of the Inca region in South America. Right. What led you to that?
1: I was a curious kid. I used to study in the Salishan School in Buenos Aires. and I like history, I like geography, natural science. And and I get so bored with some of the classes. I used to escape from the school, well, not school, go to the the second floor where there was a library and uh, the Salesians have a great library and I, I focus in, in books on exploration and geography and also the mysteries. I, uh, what uh, the priest teachers were kind of taught in me were not enough for my satisfaction. And I always liked the natural war. In that escapades from the school, I used to go to the Natural Science Museum that was in my neighborhood and, uh, to draw Kind of uh, dinosaurs and bones. And, and I was mentored by the director of the museum, who was the grandson of a famous naturalist and founder, who was an- Angel Gallardo. And uh, the grandson of Gallardo, he had an association, and me, uh, the friends of the museum. And I, I spent um, kind of always taking notes, going, attending to the lectures. I was uh, trying to be uh, forest ranger but i didn't really like the city i like the outdoors already no matter my own first exploration were my patio with a pool and some plants and i imagine i was exploring africa or egypt or other places i start to write very young my first book was published when i was uh, i wrote it when i was between 16 and, and 19 years old and one of the stories would generate also that book was a story of an archaeologist who goes to look for a treasure inside of a mine. I already was into the the caves and an underground world.
0: In your work and in your explorations, you've actually discovered two lost cities. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, I know you were curious about that. But also I discovered one in Brazil what I didn't really publish almost anything. I only publish some photos in Facebook. But is, I concentrate my research since the early 80s in a valley called the Valley of Santa Eulalia. You pass through the Rimac River, you enter this valley. My old friend, Manuel Olivares, who died in the plateau 30 years, and he helped me. He gave me the hint to find one of my first cities. And this, this city was connected with the legend of the Spaniards' towers, the tower stone formation. The locals said this was a city. And, it's, and I also about this, I did uh, an episode for the series called Destination Truth. And in that time, we were expecting to find this kind of very archaeological city prehispanic one. But the legend was in the valley they heard these kind of bells, these haunted bells that were ringing. And that the was 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 a lost kind of church. And that, that church had to come when the Spaniards really crossed the Sierras and they built some some towns and cities. From the distance you could see like kind of tower very confusing. You, you imagine it was a colonial thing. But the locals didn't couldn't explain they couldn't tell me it was a kind of a, a Spanish city with these haunted bells and there uh, wasn't many legends of ghosts a kind of ghost appearance and also you have always the treasure you see it, oh it's shining some golden light kind of in uh, during the day or during the night and the people see this kind of uh, lights around this area and this if you follow that that light, you will found treasure, no? Right? You will found Spanish doubles, yeah. I remember the first time I couldn't really go to the place, but I had to take a plane the next uh, day or the same day, and I have to rush to the city. And for several years, I was intrigued to back always there, no? And finally, well, I... I found it, and it was not a colonial city. I was also, uh, I thought it was a natural formation. In the beginning, it's, oh, this is nothing here. But no, what? It was a kind of uh, more underground construction. It was a subterranean construction with crypts. I found several families of skeletons, and these skeletons have the, the deformation. They were the oblong Oval kind of occipital and parietal deformation. So
0: and, they had those elongated skulls. Uh, so
1: elongated skulls. So. Many, many uh, kind of people are relating to extraterrestrial intervention, no? <laughs> and also, yeah, similar to the Paracas, to the Paracas type of crane, but uh, skulls. But these are different. This is not related to the Paracas, Pisco area. There are more in the Haisier, and, and they use Incas and Pre Incas, they use the deformation of the head. And I I leave it there. But uh, the interesting is uh, they word dwelling. Uh, Marcahuasi means in Quechua the Dobu habitat, the Dobu house, the local. Aboriginal dwellers built this semi-subterranean kind of housing with two two levels. That is in the plateau, but in, in the other areas surrounding of that valley, we found many other cities, kind of towns. And uh, also I found some walls. Yeah, they were kind of kind of uh, we call pilka walls. This accumulation of the stones making this kind of uh, divided structures, divided kind of housing. But mostly of the upper part was uh, kind of destroyed and remained the underground thing. From get to this crypt, I have to use a rope. Or I tried to pass through one of the tunnels, but it was very narrow. And uh, well, all this kind of area... Is interconnected with the tunnels. And these towns sometimes they kind of climb top to the mountain for hundreds of meters. Which we have that similar thing in, in the central Cusco Valley, no? With uh, pre Incas, before the Incas, they, they built towns and religious centers, but uh, we have many layers. And now we start to discover all these, these cities and uh, megalithic construction where you have massive stones, they are based in other layers of more older city. And, and remember Russo used to tell me, the discoverer of the Marcahuasi Plateau used to tell me, Alex, the Incas didn't have the knowledge to build this. This had to be from a previous cultural group, previous kind of people. And now for example, the archaeologists accept Machu Picchu is more older. And we know that 30, 40 years ago. And also, yeah, and other uh, structures in, uh, in the Sacred Valley of the Incas, we should call the Sacred Valley of Tepri Incas, uh, at Sacsayhuaman, for example. And they have many layers, older layers, who seems the stones, the massive stones Nowhere only cut it with unknown technology, but they were dissolved. They had a technique to dissolve, to make soft the rock as they could carve it. Yeah,
0: That's fascinating because I was reading the biography of Colonel Bostit. Oh, yes. And and he described a plant that he came across in the Amazon yes. would dissolve rocks.
1: Right. Bostit is and one of- Yes. Yes. And
0: I've always wondered, I haven't seen anybody reference that that plant or that phenomenon before, but you know, Fawcett was a skilled yes. and observer of nature. And I always yes. wondered if the Inca and, and those folks there took advantage of that plant.
1: Sure, he was a big observer. As you could see his book.
0: Let me take you to that time where you fi- you finally come back to that valley and you yeah. find these structures and the subterranean crypt. When you went down there and you saw these these remains with the elongated skulls, what did it feel like? What what were you thinking at the time?
1: Oh, I was I was very kind of uh, happy and I was intrigued. I, I hope I have more more kind of time and also I have a colleague. I was alone in the discovery. And my other second discovery was an older more city and. As I told you before, uh, it was the first time another local from the town brought me to the area. No? And we have to cross uh, terraces. And this looks very, very old. We're supposed to go to a kind of also site with mummies, but we saw mummies in one of the cliffs. And I found these terraces who are also praying as I calculate a couple thousand years ago or more. And they have this kind of uh, also very minor constructions, yeah.
0: What is it like to see something that people haven't seen for a thousand years?
1: It's the same sensation as when I was writing that first short story, where there was these archaeologists dressed in khaki and a hat, sweating, and uh, biting the dust, (laughs) crawling on, on the not trying to not touch too many spiders hanging <laughs> between the rocks. Yeah, that area have more spiders than than the snakes. Huh? <laughs> the snakes are in the Amazon. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that is I don't know. You connect with uh, the, our planet, who is uh, we have a human factor very ancient. We are very old. We are all all species chronologies. Of history and prehistory are totally off. Yeah, we are kind of. And that it was proved, for example, with the Caral, the city of Caral, which is the older city. Coming back to the dissolving stones, you said that tradition. I, I, I read the book of Fawcett when I, I was a teenager, but I didn't remember when my trips to, to Peru, and I was intrigued already my first expeditions in the 80s. Uh, the people told me about. The secret of the dissolving comes from a bird. And I, I have writing the species of bird, the second kind of a very fragile black bird who lives in the Andes. And the bird can dissolve this kind of hair. Searching, for example, I, I I met one of the directors of the museum, La Correra, who is a very prestigious museum in Lima. He said, Oh, I have that, that uh, nest of the of the bird with the fiber. And I, I was insisting. I called him many times when I was, you know, I cannot find it. I don't know if he was bullshitting me or not, but I went to look for that herb. Also, in my last trip to to Cusco, I found some uh, a guide, a guy who is part of the Saxarwaman complex. He's supposed to connect me with another fellow friend who already have a sample, but no really, brought to the lab this this uh, this uh, kind of hair uh, to analyze to see if that produced a chemical. For example, another legend. Uh, they found they really isolate this liquid, and they used to put it in uh, in jars, but they have to be a stone jar, but if you put it in a regular ceramic kind of uh, jar when they were bringing down the valley, they make a hole, and that is they discover in that way discovers so oh when we get we, we get that kind of uh, I don't know what we're trying to experiment but the liquid produce a big hole so they a dissolving no
0: Alex let me uh, switch gears on you from all of your travels what is the strangest or most unusual thing you ever witnessed
1: well there are many well, for me is was trying to kind of prove some artificiality in the cave of Tajos. The, the, I spent 30 years in the making, and after I saw a picture called the Cornerstone. But uh, the geologists who analyzed uh, the cave originally in the 70s, they took pictures and films, they didn't really prospect the cave with enough, including the Equatorian army and uh, further expeditions. Previous to mine and after mine. But, uh, for example, my expeditions between 2006 and 2010, finally I found that uh, that cornerstone with the proof part of the cave was lift to make a passage and to set a megalithic block. And that reminds me the the blocks in Baalbek, for example, that amazing 500... <laughs> Kind of uh, thousands of tons. Uh, impossible, impossible today to to really carve, you no? Know? But in minor scale, you found it in, in the Andes and in the Amazon. That was Fawcett was looking for this megalithic structure, you no? Know? All the official academic, they said, oh, okay, it, was, it was not really advanced cities in the Amazonian Brazilian side, Bolivia or Brazil, but they were wrong he was not too far. Tiahuanaco have this unexplained kind of cutting of rocks. And that is in Bolivia. And if you go more to the jungle, of course, Brazil is a big kind of big plains and know it's megalithic structures. But you have these flashbacks. For example, you were talking about El Dorado. El Dorado is... The Spaniards look a big city carved in gold, no? The Cibola, the uh, lost cities of Cibola, more in between the southwest of America to Patagonia. And this El Dorado legend was kind of repeating in, in many, many sides, but it was the rumor was multiplying. But the Spaniards never found this kind of totally uh, golden uh, city. But yes, they, they went to Cajamarca and they took prisoner at Atahualpa. And Atahualpa the uh, knows there were gold all over. Cusco was all over. Well, there were many real stories, no? So, uh, Dorado was not one thing, but it was scattered many satellite kind of uh, structures, no?
0: Now you're best known for your expeditions to the Taos Caves. Uh-huh. Yes. How did you first learn of them and, and why did that pique your curiosity to spend 30 years exploring it?
1: Julio Rest in Peace. Yeah, Julio died in an expedition in the Argentinian Andes. I spent a couple decades of friendship with him. And uh, he was a very private man, very humble. uh, He was the director of the Center of Speleology. And he, through a friend of mine, said, uh, he, he called, said, I want to meet this guy who wrote this book, but he's mentioned me and he's late 70s when I met him and I and we turned friends. I said, before that meeting, three years before, it was the person who descended with Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, to the Cape of Tajus. Where it was a big expedition, 1976, to the Tajus. And the organizer of the expedition, Stanley Hall, who was a Scottish, uh, nice, crazy, also dreamer and explorer, decide to put Julio in charge of that part and with the expectation he was going to guide the expedition to the chamber who's supposed to hide the legendary metal library. The metal library is a kind of is similar to a Dorado <laughs> legend. It's very similar, but it's echoing many other legends coming in the Andes, no? in and also the American lore regarding to kind of lost knowledge and lost treasure. And uh, Julio was kind of uh, a friend, uh, kind of a sidekick of another explorer, who is the real discoverer of the Tajos cake. His name was Janos Morix, he was a Hungarian who immigrated to Argentina. And when he was in Argentina, he kind of uh, mentored Julio. He was different of age. But they were looking for the same kind of knowledge. Uh, Julio was uh, also a, a person who was researching that ancient past, the origins of the kind of the South American peoples, where they come from, the migrations, the origin of of uh, cultures in America. So Morris was coming from Europe with uh, a lot of knowledge of the origin of the Indo-Europeans mm. and the Magyars coming from Hungary. And that, the two guys started to also research the underground world. And Julio was a speologist And uh, after our meeting, I said, well, you have to explore the cave of Las Brujas. The cave of Brujas is a very deep cave in the, in the Andes of the Mendoza province in Argentina. And all the members of the group, we used to have that kind of initiation in that cave. I said, so, "Well, you want to go to have know more about the Tajos Caves? You have to first prove your your mankind, right, your uh, malehood." <laughs> we could say. And,
0: uh, and in Spanish, that's the uh, caves of the witches.
1: Yes, Cave of the witches. Oh, but that area is a very kind of traditional area. They said the people, women, they were used to have the tradition of to be witches in that valley. And the valley is a a place where you have a lot of counting apparitions and uh, you have the uh, lady in white, the lady in black in the roads. You have uh, many people who ran parallel to your pickups on your tracks, and ghost apparitions, and loss of missing time, conscience, and thing.
0: I take it you passed the initiation going into the uh, right. Cave of the Witches?
1: Yes. The other important things. this cave, called the Cuangos Cave, in the Tajos lore, also in the Morona Santiago region of Ecuador, is the one, the rumor was a kind of an underground construction. And the underground construction is where this corner stone is. And this kind of polished stone blocks and megalithic stones are around in the inner caves. Uh, and this, to get there, you have to descend almost a couple, well, one mile below Earth. And when you enter, you found this kind of gate, a stone gate with level of walls and bricks. And Polish ducks. They have a very kind of initial features, and these features, for myself, I'm not a geologist, but for some geologists, cannot be explained by fluvial or water erosion. But uh, this giant megalithic block is kind of separating, looks like they use kind of some kind of a drilling technique. The Tajoscapes, they are named the name of the birds they are oil birds who give they give uh, origin to the to the name of the cage you know?
0: yeah. yeah these birds are are unusual aren't they they almost mimic bats
1: yes no there are blind birds they use the eco sonar in that way yeah they mimic bats they have some natural kind of organic constitution similar to the bats using the eco-sonar. Yeah, and it's, you see flying over your head, and they never touch it. They pass through over your head, and it's uh, they're very kind of. And you 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 perceive also the sonar, the sound. They do this kind of tact- tuck sound, and these are nocturnal birds. They kind of they are more awake during the night. They produce this strident, vibrating song, and uh, and they go at night to pick up some seeds, these peppers these big seeds who bring it to the cave. And that is the reason all the soil of the cave have a forest. Great. You have a kind of, uh, for some moments, you you feel that like you are in a Jules burner, Boya to the center of the air, where you have this for uh, forest and forest inside.
0: Now, the area is surrounded by, as you mentioned, the uh, the local indigenous people. Is Do you pronounce it the Shu'ar? Shu'ar. Sure. pronounce it? When you went there on your, especially your first expeditions, what was your impression of those people there, and what were they like?
1: The Shuar groups, we used to call it Hivars, As you remember, the Hivars in the old Hollywood movies, they used to hunt the intruders and shrink the head of the enemies. But they have the technique to make a reduction of the animals and also of the enemies. They were headhunters, yeah. You find those two groups of headhunters, the Papua New Guinea, right? Uh, you find uh, in that part of the Micronesia, and you found it in, in Ecuador.
0: So the Shuar were headhunters?
1: Right. Yes, headhunters of the Amazons, they used to call it. It's, it's an ethnic group in the edge of the Amazon and the beginning of the of of the, the jungle is a culture connected with hunting animals mm-hmm. and uh, using the psychotropic plants yeah, mm-hmm. as healing and also as a religious thing and they create they believe in, in a god called Arutan, and also in the legend that is, a, is a very important the cave of Talos but in the main legends of the Schwarz there are two brothers they always have in the genesis of cultures including the Pre-Inca, Inca culture. The two brothers who come from a cave, yeah, and, and surface. And the two, these two brothers were uh, chasing a, a lion, a puma, and they went inside of the cave and they get trapped and finally they escape. And also they will have intervention of the birds too. And that was a mythical. So the, the cave is important in the mythical genesis of the of the Shuar's, the Hebrews. And the Hebrews, they don't, it's a different ethical thing. They were trying to be Christianized by the Jesuits, the Franciscans, from the Salishians for many years, and they, they never couldn't really conquer their, their sins, no? No matter you could find many Christian churches and faithful people, but they live in this kind of, uh, Intersection between the recent past and the modern past. So they are very nationalistic and trying to buy to their tradition. That that keep it alive. They, they sure are keeping this this uh, tradition of of connection with nature more than all ones. Yeah, and they are very kind of uh, unconquered in a certain way. No, and they su- they suffer so much with uh, the oil companies contaminating the area.
0: You mentioned earlier 2007. In 2007, you almost didn't come back. What happened?
1: What happened? I did the mistake to use one uh, guy who was a previous guy, no-Indian guy. They called Colonos, the one who are more fair-skinned. They called the Colonos. They're coming from outside, colonization. And this guy left a bad reputation since the... 70s, 80s. And the lawyer of uh, Morix, Gerardo Pena Mateus, introduced me to him. He said, well, but I was looking a guy to bring. And he said, well, oh, the only one, and I trust him. And I said, I want to introduce to, to this person. And, and this person was already in the expeditions of 69. 69 was the first expedition who discovered this underground kind of kingdom of geological anomalies, and the cave of Kuangus. There are 100 caves of Tajos in this area, for instance, 100 caves. And we know we have been exploring only six, six or seven of them. There are more kind of another 100 to really explore. And this guy, after I passed, I, pass, I called it the three rivers, the three circles of hell, but you have to, if you do it in ground, and I didn't decide to use the river. And I said, let's go to ground. And through the ground, you have to go through the jungle and cross hanging bridges, who are destroyed, almost of the bridges. And I was found it impossible to cross. And I have to found more detours. And I have. But uh, this was last chance to. After I was trying to get the gold during six months, I was six months in and out of the jungle, and. Uh, after I cross it from the Namangosa, you continue to the jungle. When we get to this place called La Unión, La Unión is the union, is the union of the two rivers, the Santiago and uh, Namangosa, before you get to the next next circle. And when I was there, I don't know, he was, we were trying to get the permission. I have kind of some permission from the capital, from the union's, for the Union of the Indians, I got a card and I was kind of in the Union. I found a guy who was a Chaman who I explained the situation. And I said, well, you could give a hand, but also my group, some kind of uh, support from the special forces of uh, we could call the special police. And these people were very interested in my, my goal. And they trained me also for several weeks to, to back to the caves. You know? It was a very intensive training for, for all types of uh, kind of uh, techniques of rappel and survival. And that, when we were kind of stuck, I had my horses, my burros with the generator. I was crossing a generator to illuminate the cave, to film the cave I, was, I have a Yamaha generator and and it was almost as the old expeditions, no? It was not easy to cross with the burro and packet. Yeah. yeah. To do it to ground, was, yeah, looked like a Bernard Herzog, Fiscal <laughs> story, right? More or less. After we, we went one day and night, and finally the shaman said, oh, let me talk with another. Well, we have to cross another bridge. We have this call, called Teravita, who's a poly. With the basket, right? And I, I tried once and I, I saw, I, I sent as an emissary my group of the group of rescue and intervention to negotiate. But when I saw the other side, they were coming with rifles. And the other side of the river, they were coming with rifles. I saw, oh, this, is <laughs> this is not going to be good.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, in that interim, my guide decided to abandon us. He said, no. I perceive something, and is uh, when I mention name his name, some other people looks like they went, they ran to call another town. And say, oh, this guy returned to this area, and it's that he, he perceived something was happening. Also, my group, my special force group, want to lead me there. They start to be afraid. believe it or not? I said I'm not leaving this place after third, uh, 25 years and 6 months <laughs> 25 years 6 months I'm not leaving I'm not leaving and also in the, the next uh, 10 days later my my visa was expiring and I said I'm not going to renew I have to return to the States so I will continue you guys, my team, if you back I will jump to <laughs> I will I will ask to the locals to descend me with the robes. and the locals, they don't need too much paraphernalia, they don't need too much kind of gear. they descend with uh, bind ropes, you know and they used to design with also with long sticks and, and binds. Finally is the shaman, he went with thing. Uh, they negotiate and I said, okay. If you help me, I will donate my generator as you could illuminate your town. But the, the town of Huangos didn't have any electricity since history. And I, when I get there, I was in a school and it was very, very kind of tender people. No? They yeah. are very nice. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any elder who remember my friends <laughs> who went there before. And I was expecting they would remember. One one elder man remember more it. Finally, we cross the bridge, and I get to the town. And I get, uh, I found a, another two guys who were. One was a teacher, the teacher of the school there, and they decide they accept my proposal. Unfortunately, the night before it started to rain, the road to the cave was several miles was, mad to the thing, all. Our boots, rubber boots were getting stuck in the in the mud. We descend, it was so hard to feel what the water was coming. The water was coming inside of my camera. I have to dry, the lenses get very blurry for the water dropping from the mouth of the of the cave. But the, the great experience mm-hmm. when you descend to the wound of the air. That descending is amazing. It's a kind of you go to the mother earth, no? And when it's surrounded by the birds, kind of quicken and producing all the stride, and hundreds of birds welcome you. Know? And it was it's, it's back to the past, 2000 years in the past. And I get, yeah, when we get to the ground, uh, we descend all the gear, the lights, the generator, and see, we want to explore this kind of the first uh, section, but you have to descend another section. And so several kind of uh, meters, a lot of feet. We have to build another kind of poly system to descend the second gradient. After that, we are more close of the of the threshold. This gate used to be called the Fondaniken Gate, now was re-baptized Janos Morix, too. two famous scoundrels. <laughs> and uh, and there I, I, I film and I analyze. I went to the upper, another upper gallery who got this very narrow kind of uh, formation Ducks. I found very strange kind of uh, rock who have the size, have the illustration of uh, the silhouette, the shape of the kind of a hammer, of, of a gram, a kind of a connecting things. You found that another construction in the end is to hold many blocks. I was trying to look the corner stone, but in the front of the gate, I couldn't find this. So, oh, my, this, I come for the corner stone. And uh, well, we crossed to the other gallery called the Stanley Hall Gallery, and uh, was the bigger gallery. And within the center, have all this kind of bread, uh, kind of uh, loaf, whose cutting is have several precision cutting. It was cut with uh, laser precision, no? We were very exhausted, but uh, we have permission only to be 24 hours. That was the concilium, the tribe concilium. In that time, I don't know, my team started to feel some strain. My special forces team said, uh, I said Well, I want to, I'm not leaving until <laughs> again. I don't feel, it. I don't leave until I found my corner strong, you know. And also to film it, I need the light, but in the sunrise, some light penetrate from the roof. Don't forget, we are kind of one mile and a half below Earth. Finally, well, in the way back, I found the cornerstone. Yeah. I took pictures and that. I feel it. They took several hours to, to return to the surface. But you have to pull it back. We have to bring all the gear and pull. And finally, we make it in the slippery entrance. We make it back. I was, uh, we separated from my lead group. I said, well, I'm going to go, but we're supposed to be, we have a timing to be picked up by a truck coming from, uh, pick up coming from the capital to pick up at the no transportation, in the intersection of the near road. After you cross back the three circles of hell as I go. Oh. Yeah, but coming back to Namangosa. And... Uh, my friend, kind of uh, the head, Claver, who was the, the older with more, what is called, position in the team range, and he went. And the other two, they were three, yeah, four with me. My team was four. And uh, we started to go what I was, we had to pack. Looks like when they went back, I found a young kid who I met before and said, Oh, they capture your guy, your your team member. And it was was kind of uh, captured and kidnapped. They keep it kind of ransomed. <laughs> they keep it kind of in, in this. The same people what I was mentioning, where they come with the rifles to the border of the river, they keep it in. And I said, uh, they're looking, a, a group coming from another town, they're coming to kill you guys. You have to really... My mother sent us to kind of warn you and it's please come, you have to hide. And is. and finally, so what happened? We continue crossing. Finally, I met the mother, it was a shuar Indian, but she was a Christian. She was a Christian lady. I discovered later she was Christian. And I said, Well, oh, coming, but they they, they captured your friend, and I don't know what happened, but it looks like your previous guy they don't like it that Lucho. And we went, and we, we kind of, she gave us a kind of a shark, a hat, very small hat. Yeah, the size of a big bat, and we had to hide there next to her cabin. And so, my uh, uh, And my teams of the pressure force they started to get very upset with me. And one of them, he wanted to kind of, uh, he started to be very aggressive. Finally, Clever was released, and he joined us, because I was liberated. And I said, but we have to hide. But these these guys, there are ten henchmen coming from us.
0: Yeah,
1: we hide in the cabin. And I said, what will we do? Well, we have to make a plan. Is uh, let's try to hold it. They never told me they have guns. I they have guns. I said, well, I don't want any spill of blood here. I don't want any responsibility of anyone. Anyway, this is my expedition. It took me twenty five years <laughs> and six months of my life. No, please, not yeah. And I feel so embarrassed, yeah. And, so uh, you
0: all are you're hiding in the hut, right? And she's protecting you. What happens next?
1: No, she's next door with another cabin, another hut and with babies, and it's it's night, and we hear shots in the air, and also flames. They have torches. It's oh my god, the people there when they are drunk on the ground many other cases they burn the people also alive they turn them fire for example I discovered a story of a guy who was uh, dealing with the sansas he was sailing and they, it's illegal when the other Indian discover he was betraying their tradition of don traffic with that they turned him in a tree and they burn him alive that was not too many months before my expedition and I said, oh, my God, we, we smell the, the, of the torches, the smell. And the, the people next to the cabin, the lady and the kids were crying. The members of my team, one of the guys was kind of a servant, he started to get mad. I said, well, we are going to die for your fault. And he was kicking me. I said, if I don't kill by the Indians, I get killed by, by, by the cops, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was kicking me. And the kind of what happened? As next is, I was praying. I was kind of, I said, Oh, Father Crespi. Father Crespi was the other kind of point in the story, it was a Salishian uh, father who had a big collection of artifacts in uh, Cuenca, another, the third big city in Ecuador. And that he had a collection of metal scrolls and, and some of the legends and the confusion for Fondanic in his book. And also the people in the area were still remembering one Swiss guy, he made millionaire kind of with the gold of the gold, lying about the story, no? and they were still remembered. So, oh, they were there was so much resentment, no, the people who come to take the treasure and make money with uh, and he made gold, no final gold, he made coming back to the, to the story when we are in the hood, they said please don't Nobody get hurt. I was praying for that, but I was calm. My my team was more nervous than me. I was totally calm, but at, at least I, I conquered the cave after so many years. You know? It's you feel as you conquered the Everest. You know? but before me, were not expedition. It was only the expedition of seventy six with Armstrong, and Colle. And that gap were not. I was the first, and, and I was connected with the real yeah you know? Now today, everybody talks about the cave, but I, I made the mistake to put that. I did an episode for Ancient Aliens mm-hmm. in 2010 um, for that series, and I put uh, that cave and also the Markawasi Plateau in the spot. Yeah, but nobody cared. Now everybody's doing it. Coming back in the same moment, uh, I said, well, if we make it alive to the sunrise, we want to make a by escape. We have to drop a lot of equipment I like have. Also, I have a big metal detector. I have to leave it behind. My samples of rocks I haven't behind. Mysterious one of my tapes disappeared. who have the recording of the corner of a stone, but since got I took a picture, but I, re- I lost the tape. Well, so, how did you
0: escape the hut?
1: Suddenly, it was no more sound. It was shut into the air, it was kind of uh, silent. The night came, we didn't sleep anything and say so it was around five o'clock in the morning or four thirty but so well let's go and we kind of go behind so it looks like the guys were asleep you know and so they said oh if there are drunks they're going to fall asleep anymore. We use a ditch to run and it's my the the group of intervention and rescue my special forces guy said, well, one is going in front of Alex, the other in, in the back of uh, of Alex to protect him be they were responsible of my life no that is they have to bring me life and they were good in that level. but they were they were armed, I said they had a couple of automatic pistols, and and, and we ran. I said well you come to run as you never run. <laughs> With my backpack, with my camera, with the tapes, yeah, with uh, my photo camera, my gear, as we turned to run. The ground was not too slippery as two days, two nights before. And the lady, the Christian lady, and the son decided to escort that. She came to go to another town. So well, I will go. But she knows the, the roads, no? And finally, we get to the bridge. To the bridge of hell, but it was the pulley thing. In that moment, when we were there, we saw kind of a, a swarm of darts coming. So, where are they coming from? There were a dozen of big spears. Unfortunately, I used to have it. I lost it in so many of my movies. Yeah. And they get too close upon I said, well, who is shutting this kind of darts in the middle of the night? I don't know who was. And nothing. We didn't hear anything. And Let's cross and we cross with a basket. We cross it again and uh, back. And when we get to the other point, we decide my team want to destroy it. No, no, don't destroy all the bridge, but these people need transportation. And he tied it. He tied it in the way the other side couldn't pull it back. But it's the people who throw the darts. We'll be the same of things, or was another people who were there kind of waiting for us? But when we crossed to the other side, we found the reason why we, they want to be. I found a complete garbage disposal of 10 or 15 wine containers. Brand kind of used it. They were drinking this cheap wine.
0: <laughs> so the men with guns and torches then decided to start drinking. And that's how you made your escape is when they passed out?
1: Right. But I, yeah, but I, I grabbed one of the. I have my arrow with me to prove it, that, but they still use arrows, too, and they use spears.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a kind of, uh, they use long spears, and they use the bolokera with, with the darts, with the curare darts. so they use it with the monkeys, still, they could use it with you too. Yeah, I know many cases of the achuars and the Waranis. they use it with the, the missionary people, yeah. Well, and, well, after we, we we continue running, we get to the the town and uh, we get we're waiting for the bus. Well,
0: That's a heroic experience. First, having
1: I don't deserve it. Yes. <laughs>
0: well, having people first with torches and and rifles coming after you, and then crossing the river with uh, spears and darts being shot at you.
1: Yeah, no, they were a small. Yeah, arrows. It's a small arrows. Experience. This side, uh, yeah.
0: Well, Alex, this has been a fascinating conversation. For folks who want to follow your exploits, how would we do that?
1: Oh, you could look for me on Facebook with my name. You could follow me on Twitter with my name.
0: And the book that you wrote about these (laughs) exploits, Mysteries of the Tayos Caves.
1: Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I'm looking to share with you more discoveries.
0: Fascinating. All right, Alex, we'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us. We'll see you down the road when we get together again, share a glass of whiskey, and hear more stories of adventure as told by those who live them. Until then, check us out at michaeljreinhardt.com where you'll find more of my work as an adventure photojournalist. Photos, videos, and articles of interesting people, mysterious places, and exotic cultures from the wild places of the world.